right, Greg, where we are back here for another episode of Funny Book Forensics, and we have some cartoons to read. Cartoons? Yeah, so DC Comics owns the Hanna-Barbera Library of Characters. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, I do I do recall them putting out a handful of fantastic Hanna-Barbera reads a while back. Yeah, and they they've done uh they've done several different things with the Hanna-Barbera characters depending on who they are. So, you know, they had a couple different Scooby-Doo books. Uh, one was like a kids book that sort of fit in their line with like their cartoon universe books. They also had like Scooby-Doo Apocalypse and they did a bunch of one shots uh, with Hanna-Barbera characters, combining them with superheroes. So they would throw a story. Of course, my favorite was Bug Bunny, Bugs Bunny meets the Legion of Superheroes. Uh, of course, of course. Uh, I remember reading the Wacky Racers run. Yeah, and the Wacky Racers run was was pretty great. And I think one of the other things they decided to do with these characters, sort of similar to what uh, they did with Watchmen in the 80s when they bought the whole catalog of Charlton comics is they took these characters and they allowed authors to put them in different situations. I think it's one of the favorite writing techniques you've mentioned is sort of taking a character or an idea and then placing them in a different time and space. Yeah, sometimes it gives it gives you an uh, a way to take that character and see how they're going to interact with different situations and kind of sometimes uh it might give it a little levity or sometimes it might give it a hint of realism that you weren't expecting and in this case they sort of took a minor character i guess i don't i don't know if minor character is the right word but took a character called snagglepuss who debuted yeah, yeah. in 1959 and was a studio regular by 1962, according to the uh, great Wikipedia on the first appearance was on the quick draw McGraw show. Oh yeah. And Snagglepuss was voiced by Dawes Butler. And Dawes Butler did all sorts of different things. And so there's a lot of different uh, things you can do. And, Looking at Dawes Butler, he has an amazing, uh, on his Wikipedia page, uh, blue jean jacket with a giant pink collar. Very fitting for, for Snagglepuss, a, a pink, uh, was he a panther, a mountain lion? He is, let's see, well, we should probably figure that out. You know, we are doing the <laughs> podcast, but uh, let's let's bounce back to that in a second. Uh, okay. But Dawes Butler... It says, you know, he originated the voices of many familiar characters, including Loopy de Loop, Wally Gator, Yogi Bear, Hokey Wolf, Elroy Jetson, Quick Draw McGraw, Baba Louie, Peter Potamus, Potamus, Peter Potamus. I always mess Peter that Potamus. one up. Always <laughs> mess that one up. It's so easy. It's Hippopotamus, so it's Peter yeah. Potamus. Yeah. Snagglepuss, of course, and Huckleberry Hound. And right. so we're going to get three of the characters that he voiced in the story here so it's interesting that they put all of these things together it's a menagerie if you will it is definitely a menagerie no we talked about menageries last last time or last couple of times i guess we've got a yes. couple parter back there on prez and we had of course the menagerie there that was there in that story too but this is a little bit of a different uh type of menagerie and yeah so you want to let's see snagglepuss I don't know. I always thought he was 
I guess probably a cougar or a mountain lion, but yeah, a cougar, mountain lion. We can go to some expertise here as we're looking this up. So as I'm looking up in a very professional way in the middle of a podcast, what Snagglepuss was, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the cover of issue one here? The cover of issue one has Snagglepuss wrapped, draped in the American flag. He is holding a uh, what looks like a, a martini with a couple of olives up like the 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 torch that Lady Liberty holds and has a uh, cigarette and a cigarette holder um, hanging down and is is standing against what looks like a thousand points of light. Yeah. Very and, much. Uh, a lot of wrapped it, in the American flag there. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's actually really, it's a, it, I find it very aesthetically. It's a, it's a very nice piece. I could see that as being like, honestly, like as a person with tattoos, uh, it's a, it would be a really cool tattoo piece. Yeah. I think you were right. Uh, Snagglepuss uh, is a, is a cougar. So oh, he's a cougar. Okay. Yeah. I think yeah, Panther cougar, pretty close there. It's a Panther cougar, mountain lion, a large cat of prey from North America. North America. Okay. So not a Panther. Panther's not North American. So cougar or mountain lion, cougar or mountain lion, probably mountain lion. And or cougar. Snagglepuss (laughs) in the cartoons. uh, You might say he, I guess you didn't have uh, gay characters in Hanna-Barbera cartoons, but he's probably about as close as you can get. And you said you wouldn't do it, so you don't have to do the accent. But what was his famous catchphrase? His famous catchphrase? Uh, well, he had two, uh, if I recall. Uh, one was heavens to Murgatroyd. And the yeah. other one was exit stage left. Right. And that is the also the name of the comic we're reviewing. So exit stage left, the Snagglepuss Chronicles. Yes, yes. So we should probably jump into this thing. Uh, one of the neat things about the DC app too, is it gives you the alt cover too. And the alt cover was really neat as well. It's him adjusting a really Southern suit top, uh, classic Southern, almost like something you'd get like on a Kentucky fried chicken (laughs) bucket. Yeah. Yeah. Very. Um, I mean for, for this week, um, or well, when this podcast is released, uh, would be, uh, the kernel uh, being hot in everyone's mind uh, with some uh, spicy, uh, spicy content on what the Lifetime channel. Uh, we've got oh, yeah. a. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <I love that. laughs> Whoa. Yeah, you know, you got some uh, some great stuff there. Uh, the 11 herbs and spices of, uh, of seduction coming out. So, uh, yeah, you got you got Snagglepuss looking very much like the kernel. He's got a nice yellow suit. A lot of photographers around him because he's, you know. Well, he's he's Stagglepuss. He's famous. Yeah. So we get into the story. And so we're just going to launch you all right in. So that's probably going to be most of what our history on the uh, on the character is. Uh, but Snagglepuss showed up a lot, I will just say. I can kind of finish that out for a second. He shows up on Quick Draw McGraw, on Augie Doggy and Doggy Daddy, um, of course, on Yogi Bear. And, of course, uh, one of my favorites and yours, because I know it is, the Laugh Olympics. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, it, it's always funny to see like a, I like anima, 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 porphic. Anthropomorphic. Yes. That's the word. Um, characters doing, doing peopley things and doing sports Olympics and stuff like that. And, and, you know, people who are listeners, if you've watched any, any of the, the Hanna-Barbera cartoons, you know, Snagglepuss, he is a, he's an actor. He's a, he's a, he's a theater person and uh, doing, doing all these sports type things, you know, it's tiring. It's not really his thing. So. (laughs) And I will say too, when you get into, to Greg's point too, when you get into these stories, uh, it's a lot like uh, Bojack Horseman, where the anthropomorphic characters interact directly with the human characters. So you've got a lot of care. They just are interacting with each other. There's no separate worlds here. Uh, there, yeah. There is, I would say they go different than Bojack Horseman, where the characters don't typically act in a stereotypical way, like the animals, so to speak, there's a little bit of it, you know, on Bojack, like the birds act like birds, right. And they have really bird roles in a lot Mm -hmm. of that case. And, you know, the cat has a scratch pad and and there's a little bit of that, but it, it it a little bit, I think they went a little bit of a different, probably more serious direction. Even though Bojack's really serious. So I'm Mm -hmm. not saying that there's a show I watch and I'm, I watch a whole season and I'm sad for like three days. Yeah, so depressing. I'm not going to say this will do that to you, but it's definitely the characters in a serious tone. Yeah, for sure. So let's go ahead and get this moving. So we can go ahead and get started. So we get an opening scene of two people at a restaurant. They're having a a nice conversation and uh, talking about getting spoiled because and they, and they have the hottest out. tickets in town. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, kind of talking about this first page, we've got Henry and Alice here and Henry is just acting like he has done everything right for Alice. Like he's running her life. He's offering her part of his stake and he's got this great present for her of tickets to the hottest show in town. And of course, Alice actually grabbed the tickets because she's apparently running things. And of course he turns to her and says, what, what, what would I do without you turtle dove? Oh, it's so nice. Oh, it is. It's so June, 1953. Very. And then we flip the page and we have, it looks like a wolf. It does. Behind the camera there. Yeah. And they are mentioning here comes Broadway star man of the hour Snagglepuss. Of course, because Snagglepuss is a playwright. Yeah. And he's with his actress pal. Lilla Lyon. Yes. And we've got every bit of 1950 slang here because she's a dame. What a dame. He's got a hit play going on. He's got it made. He's in an amazing suit. He is. He is. Uh, before we go on, though, we might want to tell people who this was done by. Oh, yeah, that's probably important. So Mark yeah. Russell is the writer. And uh, one of the reasons we picked this book is because because Mark Russell wrote the updated version of Prez that we 
aren't covering right now, but we just covered <laughs> Prez. And that's one of the reasons we got into Mark Russell uh, for this. Also, we've got art uh, by Mike Feehan and inks by Mark Morales. All right, now back into the story. So now that we're back in the story here, we've got Snagglepuss here and uh, he thinks everything is, is ready for this play to keep moving on. And he heads inside and he gets interviewed and they say, uh, your work has inspired a whole new generation of playwrights, but who inspired you? And he tells and, them this little tale. Yeah, he mentions the Algonquin Roundtable. And so finest generation of playwrights there and he shows him as as a little cougar uh reading the new yorker in what looks like some guys in overalls kind of staring at him trying to figure out why he's walking around with a bow tie <laughs> yeah because <laughs> they're you know it seems like you know working day stuff in mississippi rural mississippi and even though uh, he's referred to as a cougar it looks like it says uh, the reporter at least tabs him as a lion here. He says a young lion makes good. Maybe, maybe a mountain, mountain lion. And a mountain. There you go. So a young mountain lion. And he is off to watch his, his, his show. And then we get in here and we've got what looks like a, a classic uh, Arthur Miller type uh, play here. Yeah. Feels like it. Kind of dark angry <laughs> yeah and one of the things I, I do like too and they did this on bojack too and i will make some comparisons here because when they play other people so we've got what is presuming to believe to be a human male and of course uh little lion here it looks like mm -hmm. uh playing the characters but they're playing dogs and so they have dog masks on basically like a dog nose and dog ears yeah uh to get into character and it looks like we may have an appearance uh, by Peter Potamus down here. I think you're correct. And there's a lot of cameos in here. So I will assume this is Peter Potamus, but I'm not actually sure. I think you're I think I think you're 100 percent correct. So the the stage actors are having quite the the fight on stage. And it looks like dad is coming home here. And he comes back to mom and she's all ready to go. Or it's not dad. Sorry, it's the boyfriend. Yeah, the boyfriend. The son and the mom. And the boyfriend has promised everything, but he's lost everything. And mom has no way out. And we have a classic American tragedy. Everyone is stepping out on everyone. And she leaves with the very dramatic, no, oh, Lord in heaven, my heart is a kennel of thieves. Mm. And then they yell for the author. And we flip to a scene where Snagglepuss and Little Lion are in the car. And he... And she says, hey, they love you. And he goes, ah, they don't even know me. So much sadness. Yeah, you know, it's implied sadness. And then yeah. Lilla departs and he heads to the village. 
And we have Snagglepuss sneaking into Stonewall. So how many... So tell us about Stonewall, Greg. Stonewall is a uh, well historically, and uh, it has a it's a it's it's got a very large um, prominence uh, historically in the gay community as being a uh, one of the the first uh, bars of its type, uh, a a haven, if you will, for for people to go and congregate, talk, and be themselves um, in a society that did not accept them at a time in our society where it was not acceptable where you had to really hide to be gay and of course stonewall is also the the place of the stonewall riots and you also had later on two prominent members of the queer and trans community were featured as speakers and supporters to you know for stonewall so it in this case, we're portraying gay men here in the story, but Stonewall became a place really for the entire LGBTQ plus community, not just uh, gay men. But in this case, we're looking at gay men in the story. So here we are, and we've got some folks that show up in the story, and we've got some first appearances here. So we're looking inside. We have Snagopus sneaks in. And he finds uh, presumably his lover, Pablo, because they embrace and, and kiss immediately. And we also have a horse sitting at the bar. He's a horse cop. Cop horse. And if you're not paying close attention, you miss his name tag. As I did during my first my, my first look at this character. Um, but later on, I, I picked it up. And his name tag says Migra. And so we've got our first appearance by the famous horse quick draw Migra. <laughs> and so it, it looks like he's paying off the uh, paying off the bartender for some reason. Mm, I think you might be mistaken. I think the bartender's paying him off. Oh, was I confused? Yes, I think the bartender's paying quick draw off. Because he's making uh-huh. his rounds. Because see, it sort of looked like the money was in front of Quick Draw, and then he was giving it to the bartender. Ah, we'll find out later. We will. That seems a little bit confusing now, because it seems like it could be either way. But I bet you're probably right. It's going to be my guess. So now we get into it and uh, Pablo and Snagglepuss are hanging out at the bar and we flash to Lillian Hellman's uh, appearance in front of of the House Committee on Un-American Activities. So for those of you that aren't familiar with HUAC, uh, HUAC was a committee that was created by uh, Joseph McCarthy. Joe McCarthy. And, And... Actually, and I think I'm actually incorrect. I need to back up on that. So HUAC was the House Un-American Activities Committee. So that was actually in the House of Representatives. Mm. Uh, And the HUAC committee came out of came out of sort of the I say sort of came out of the Rosenberg trial and the atomic bomb scare. So we're going to see the Rosenbergs in the story, but I probably should highlight them a little bit now. So the Rosenbergs, uh, the 
the husband, he was a spy and he had been giving secrets to the Soviet Union. And I think it was something like a fuse. It wasn't something huge or a a circuit of some sort. Uh, A lot of people think that the Soviets with the scientists they had and that they also stole from Germany, kind of like we did for our rockets, uh, would have gotten them to the bomb pretty soon. But this was a big deal. This scared a lot of people because when the Soviets had the atomic bomb, they had it in the late 40s. All of a sudden, people were really scared. And so the Rosenbergs were convicted and it was quite an interesting trial because both Rosenbergs were executed and it was very rare for a woman to be executed in the United States at that time. Correct. So what that prompted was folks going, okay, well, if this happened, then what else could be happening? Where are the other spies? And so the attorney uh, that prosecuted, the U.S. attorney that prosecuted the Rosenbergs, Roy Cohn, and then others started looking for ways that they could ferret out uh, the evil commie Reds. And then McCarthyism is the name for the era. Uh, and Joe McCarthy was the senator that used a lot of this to his ends to try to ferret out uh, communists in government. And the end of Joe McCarthy was when he tried to go after the United States Army. And you just can't do that. Yeah, it didn't work out so well for him then. And he was also a giant drunk. So he died not too long after he was kind of disgraced and censured and not kind of disgraced. He was censured by the Senate and disgraced. So overturned. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he was he he was a, a bit of a drunk, but uh, Roy Cohn and Joe McCarthy and the House Un-American Activities Committee destroyed a lot of careers and they really focused on artists who a lot of times were college educated and may have had Communist Party ties or been in a communist club or just learned about socialism. And so HUAC would drag people in and they would be forced them to answer questions And if you recused yourself, you were basically disgraced. And there were 10 people that refused to answer questions. And then others, when they got into it, you know, did answer questions and admitted that they had ties to the Communist Party during parts of their life. And then they were disgraced and they pretty much lost their career. So here we have Lillian Hellman, who was a playwright, and that happened to her in her career. So they're replaying that on the television. I think a lot of times too, it was like, you know, for, for folks who studied abroad at the time or prior to the time and stuff like that as well. Uh, it was looked into their, their past, like, where did they go? What did they do? And, you know, a lot of times if you're, if you're studying uh, culture in any way, shape or form and art, you're going to study abroad. You're going to do these things. <laughs> so they, took liberties which were very um it's just so this is this is where i'm so frustrated (laughs) yeah well it was a dark time in the united states and of course here one of the tricks they would do too is they would try to get people to name names of others Mm -hmm. right and so you were a communist you did this in the past and 
you need to now name the names of everyone that ever experienced communism with you. And so now we have a situation that's very similar to maybe things that are happening now. And I want to be fair here. You know, we're going to pick on some members of the Republican Party. But the interesting thing about the Republican Party then is it was sort of the rah-rah American Party, but it was not the party that was necessarily like discriminating against other folks in society in the 1940s and 50s. You had the Democratic Party in the South that was more known as like the racist party, right? Like that Mm -hmm. was discriminating against African-Americans. And so I'm not saying Republicans didn't discriminate against African-Americans, but this is probably the start of the turn of the Republican Party where they sort of became this raw, raw American party and then later turned around and became the party that was, say, more likely to discriminate against others. Mm -hmm. And you can see it right now. I mean, AOC, right after the election, said, oh, well, we need to create lists and names of everybody (laughs) who was for Trump and make sure that they never have a job again. And you can't do that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's exactly what's going on here, right? Let's blacklist anybody that had a belief system or thought and felt something uh, a certain way. And of course this is very personal to me too, because if I was held accountable for every belief that I had when I was 25, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't be having this podcast. Like we wouldn't be my friend. It's true. It's, I mean, and same goes for me too. I mean, like, and if we were even, you know, like that's, that's the, I guess that's where my, my frustration lies is like, I went to a very liberal arts school after, after our, um, you know, after debate and I experienced a lot of different things there and I probably would have been on a list. <laughs> yeah. And I would, I would have been comics. on a list for very opposite reasons, right? We would so, have been on a list for, for very yeah. opposite regions right and, and, so, and we we would have yeah it would have just i'm glad we're not in these times and that's why it's frustrating <laughs> but we are sort of in these times oh yeah then we have you know supposedly the party of members of the party of enlightenment and mm-hmm. freedom right saying that we should put everybody on a list that ever supported donald trump and i and I say, I shouldn't say members, I should say explicitly um, AOC, right? Yeah. But AOC also is sort of this news magnet. And so I'm sure that AOC is not the only person that that believes this, right? Mm-hmm. And we've certainly seen it on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, I mean, and it's not to say it's like, it's not, it's one of those things where it's like, yes, you can disagree with the things that they've, they've done and said, but then again, it's the the same can go for the other side as well on their belief system. So it's, that's also where the frustration is too. <laughs> and, and fine, I guess my last piece of frustration too, is whether we like it or not, we're still a capitalist society and Hey listeners, I'm not saying capitalism is correct, but when you actively worked to, to deny somebody livelihood, that's just not, appropriate to me Mm -hmm. right maybe you could work to deny somebody livelihood in a certain area right where they're just evil Mm -hmm. but in this case you know we have lillian hellman and the huac committee is actively denying her ability to practice her craft which is playwriting and writing and blacklisting her Mm -hmm. 
And so you're, you're literally denying somebody their ability to practice the craft that gets them the money that gets them food to eat. And the entertainment blacklist went on for, I mean, even though like, I mean, and this is, this is jumping, uh, you know, the story, but historically speaking, and this is not a spoiler for anybody. It's just, you know, if you know your history, the, the, the blacklist, even though things were overturned and things were, we'll say quote unquote air quotes set straight, uh, by, uh, you know, like, Oh no, these people, they, they, they didn't do anything wrong. There's no wrongdoing there was still a blacklist in, in play and people did not work for decades, if not ever again. Yeah. And it happened other times too, right? Depending mm -hmm. on certain films that people would release. And, and so, you know, there were stories too, that ended up blacklisting people and it happened before it wasn't necessarily Huac, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, Orson Welles was blacklisted, uh, after Citizen Kane, yeah. I mean, when you go against, when you go up against uh, a very large media magistrate, <laughs> you're going to draw some heat on yourself. So, and so that happened. And of course, uh, uh, why am I totally blanking on the, the movie where Slim, uh, Slim, is it Slim Whitman or Slim Pickin? It's Slim Whitman, right? Rides the bomb. Oh, <laughs> right. uh, I, I know. Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. And that, that didn't do well for a few people's career, Peter Sellers career for sure. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you were looking at, you know, different pieces of, of, of cinema, but at least in that case, right. I mean, you go against a media magnet or you put it out an unpopular piece of cinema, mm -hmm. like people could choose to not buy that person's product at that point. Yeah. But in this case, you know, we're outing people for something they might have done once in their life or and that wasn't even threaded, say, in their art. Yeah. Correct. Correct. So just a lot going on here. And so anyway, uh, they ask the bartender to turn it off as they're watching the testimony and we flip the page and then we find out a little bit more, though. Uh, we find out a little bit more about Pablo. Yeah. And Pablo was in the not communist Cuba, but actually Cuba. The, the dictatorship. Um, and for, again, I feel like we're a lot of contextual history here, but they're showing what it was like to be in Cuba under Batista. And if you aren't familiar with the, is it the American fruit company? I'm going to mess it up. Uh, are you, um, the trying to think of company that made sugar in Cuba. Uh, hold on a second. I, I have the, I, I know the name of the company because it's the American fruit company, I think, is it? Nope. No, I'm totally wrong. We're going to get letters. We're going to get letters for all five of you that are listening to us. Yes. Uh, work through this piece of the, of the, this piece here. But yeah, I mean, they weren't great either. American Fruit Company, they had some problems in Honduras and bananas. And if you want the history of Chiquita bananas, you can look up talking this. about Dole or Chiquita or no, yeah, well, I'm talking about the American Fruit Company. Yeah, okay. it's, it's some nasty stuff. But yeah, when you look at Batista's government, a lot of it was there to prop up sugar production in Cuba as well. And so when it went communist, right, you know, yeah. a lot, I'm not a super big fan of Castro, but the revolution happened because of exploitation of people in Cuba. 
and the dictatorship that was also exploiting people and harassing and discriminating against people. So we yeah. get a quick story of what it was, a quick couple of pa pa panels of what it was like to be gay in Cuba and why somebody would leave uh, Cuba. And so Batista sends out and decides that gay people are going to be the people he's going to strike out against and they start beating up and murdering people. And mm -hmm. so Pablo's uh, uh, boyfriend, Alberto, is murdered along with other gay men. And that's why he decided to leave Cuba. And he says something pretty important in the story. He says, every nation is a monster in the making and monsters will come for you, whether you believe in them or not. It's true. <laughs> yeah. And we'll just let that sink in for just a second because Snaggle Snaggle Puss says right before that, I understand, but this is different. This is America. Mm -hmm. And in 2020, I might say to you, Greg, this is different. This is America. <laughs> and I might say just a monster waiting for you. Yeah. So now well, we get a, a I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm going to say, as I say on my other podcast, Nurse from the Crypt, the scariest monsters out there are people monsters and uh, people monsters. If you're not familiar with the concept are not the ones that are in the closet or under your bed or, or, you know, in your mind, but they're, they're the people that live next door. Uh, they're the ones that you see every day, <laughs> you know, they're the people. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, mm, Yeah. Well, let's get into some more monsters. So yeah. we uh, flip the page and we're at the Algonquin Hotel and Snagglepuss goes in to meet with Lillian Hellman, his idol or one of hey. his idols. Yeah. And yeah. they have a conversation and Snagglepuss is trying to help out Lillian Hellman uh, get her a job and she completely blows him off. Uh, he tries to get her a job in television and uh, Lillian's ego won't allow her to have the job. She's way above that. She said television's television is like a crystal ball into the mind of a Sunday school teacher, which I think is a great line. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good line. But she's saying it's, it's too simple of an art form. And, you know, one thing, too, that is interesting in the story is I feel like they were pretty fair in the story, illustrating biases or Russell's very fair in the story of illustrating biases on both sides. Right. Because there is an art world that views like television and popular media and, and ironically comic books, right. It's sort yeah. of the sub art form. And that seems to be her approach here. Yeah. And so we get into it and they have a conversation and they leave and, you know, they have the discussion and they wonder what, you know, basically it, it ends not so great. Yeah. She leaves and Snagglepuss only stands there with his umbrella staring down the road at this career of somebody he admired being eliminated. And like that, she's gone. And uh, she basically tells him to uh, when a writer is no longer the catch of the day, she's cat food.
That is a weird line. <laughs> it is a weird line, but I think it fits with the story. Yeah, you know, no. we, get the, we get the little bit of the tie back. Is uh, Snagopus going to eat her? <laughs> yeah. And then we get a subplot. So we get Henry and Alice back here and the newspapers say that the Rosenbergs are to die. Mm-hmm. And I don't, it, it's a little bit weird in the time and placement of when Hellman. So the history is not exactly, cause I believe the Rosenbergs were, uh, the Rosenbergs died long before. Did they? Yeah. I, uh, Julius well, and Ethel Rosenberg were, put to death no i was wrong it is 1953 as well so that timing okay. is dead on okay so i was wrong i like how he henry's like super excited about the the picture of the television how clear it is <laughs> yeah when it looks like they were um they were arrested i think in 1950 or 1951 so that's probably what i was thinking of yeah, Julius Rosenberg was arrested in on July 17th, 1950. So I knew the arrest were spurring this. So that's where I was a little bit confused on my timeline, if that makes sense. Okay. Because I knew the arrest spurred a lot of the Red Scare. Mm-hmm. So it didn't make sense to me that it was happening at the same time, but it did happen at the same time. So just about the same time that Lillian Elman testified. Yeah. So, yeah, he's really excited about stopping and watching these people get executed. Oh, I mean, it's a wow. it's a big thing. Alice is not really interested, though, in watching people get executed. No, not so much. So we flip the page out of the subplot and we have uh, another appearance. And here is Huckleberry Hound. Huckleberry Hound, hat in hand. And uh, Snagglepuss is there moving furniture in his apartment with Marion. Moving an armoire. Yep. And uh, Marion does not seem very happy to see Snagglepuss or to see Huckleberry Hand. No, not so much. <laughs> so that everybody goes out on the town and there goes Snagglepuss and Huckleberry Hound and Lilla. And they go out to a big party. And everybody seems to be getting along just fine. And then there's some discussion at the party about some global events. A lot of discussion. And they're they're holding up the Partisan magazine. He's in my new magazine, The Partisan, unflinching coverage of the global revolution, which implies what? All the things that are happening. All the communism, sir. All, all the yes. communism. All the, the global communism. revolution, man. Yes. So even if you just appeared at a party where somebody was mentioning communism, that might be grounds to be dragged in front of Huac. Yeah, at that time, yeah, for sure, because you know you were you were there, you were you were part of the quote unquote air quotes scene. You were you heard the stuff that was being talked about, or you could have. So. Yeah, and I did screw up, I think, a couple pages ago. Uh, I said that I said the wrong person in the story. Wow. I don't think that was uh, Lillian Hellman. Was it a couple pages ago? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, it was. That was, that was Lillian okay. Hellman. 
yep, we're all we're all still good here. So, and now he's talking to Lillian again, and we find out that Lillian name names, and she's embarrassed and sad. Uh, but we see a couple of important names there. We see Snagglepuss and Peter Potamus on the list. Mm. Which means they're going to have to come before the House and American Activities Committee. Yeah. And Lillian points out that they're shabby little men in a room and they try to make other people shabby too. It, it kind of reminds me too, like when you look at the HUAC committee there, it looks like a lot of, and I was making comparisons too, and I'm trying to not go down to the different parties, right? Um, mm -hmm. And attack because I think it's flipped over the last couple of years, but it does sort of remind me like the look and feel of it, of some of the recent committee hearings we've seen. Yeah. And some of those committee hearings could be just right. Like I'm not saying that like folks in those that were up for say Supreme court justice positions or, or executives from big companies didn't deserve to be grilled by people. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it had, I don't know. I look at this art here and I think it's phenomenal art to draw to the idea that these folks are making a name for themselves and the focus is on their anger as opposed to actually like trying to implicate somebody in front of them. Yeah. And getting, getting an actual, finding resolution or some sort of if they're really out to protect the country, like they're trying to do in this uh, there. I mean, obviously, yes, you're going to be very angry if this is the only course of action you have and you're not getting what you want, but there's a composure, right? There is a, uh, a way to to keep that <laughs> what i think too is is when you watch a lot of these hearings it's very clear that the the speech is about the person asking the question not about the person answering the question mm -hmm. and so and then we applaud our heroes when they attack somebody else right so whichever yeah. whichever party you're for right the person attacking or the person supporting we just applaud them and it's not really a debate or it's not really a hearing at that point. It's not about the person in the hearing, which is who it should be about. Like, I want to know genuinely about the person's qualifications, say to be on the Supreme court, for example. And mm -hmm. instead I get one party that just says platitudes about the person and talks about how great they are. And then I've got the other party that's vehemently attacking the person. And no matter what they say, it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that's a really great way, say, to pick a uh, Supreme Court justice, for example. Fair, fair. So now we flip the page and we get back into the government side a little bit. And we're introduced to Gigi Allen, who I, I did check to make sure, but I was pretty sure Gigi was an analog character. Mm -hmm. and, Seemed like it. Yeah. So what do you think of Gigi here? Uh I, I thought, uh, interesting character, uh, interesting, uh, interesting choice for an analog. Uh, cause I, when I, when I was reading this, I was like, this is an analog. I don't recall this person from history, or at least I don't recall this person from what I know of this history. So 
<laughs> I was like, interesting analog, interesting take. Yeah, and the language here, so it threw me off a little bit because there's this language here that she uses about like virtue and, and things like that and, and almost like sort of this vital importance. Um, she says we're America is not only locked in a military struggle for survival, which would be the Korean War, but also a, a moral struggle, right, as mm-hmm. well. Um, how can we defeat enemies abroad if we're not being poisoned within, if we're, be, if we are being poisoned within by our own culture? So she reminded me of the, initially I was a little confused because she reminded me of the uh, anti-feminist Phyllis Schla- 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 uh, can I, I'm never going to be able to say this name. Phyllis so Schlafly. Phyllis it is Schlafly. a tough name to say into yeah. a microphone, but Phyllis Schlafly was an, an anti-feminist who, who really came to a lot of prominence during the 1970s and she was out there saying basically that women were best served if they were housewives and they could only be have a moral exciting happy life if they served men and basically you know had kids the total flip of what society was trying to do or a majority of society was trying to do at the time which was women breaking away from those those constructs and, and moving into the workplace uh that they had been in back in the thirties and forties and then bettering themselves by going to college and, and creating a different path. Which is ironic because Phyllis Schlafly had advanced college degrees and was a political operative for the Republican party during the 1950s and sixties before she came to became, uh, became prominent after supporting the Nixon administration and then became prominent in the seventies as an anti-feminist icon. So, so her message is see me, but don't be me. Yeah. Like it's it's okay for me to get an advanced degree and work as a political operative, but not for you. I'm, I'm the moral bastion. She's also partly analog. It seems for Ray Cohn who we can get into a little bit more later, but Ray Cohn was a, he actually it's the juxtaposition here is Ray Cohn. I bring up right now because Ray Cohn was the U S attorney that prosecuted the Rosenbergs. So we see Julius Rosenberg uh, going in to get uh, to the electric chair. And so it's, it's probably important to bring that up now as part of the discussion too. Right. And looking at this, Uh, but Ray Cohn was also a big part of HUAC and close friends with Joseph McCarthy, uh, some people would say extremely close friends with Joseph McCarthy. Gotcha. We'll get into a little bit of that as the story moves on later. Okay. So we will flip the page here and move on to the story. And interestingly enough, it's implied at the beginning of the story that Alice and, and is it Henry or Harry? I've now forgotten already, but had the hottest tickets in town and they don't have tickets to see Snagglepuss's play, but they do have tickets to see the Rosenbergs get executed. That is not what I was expecting. <laughs> it was not what I was expecting either. And so they missed the first execution and they say, Oh, crumbs. And they rush in to watch and Henry, Harry, forgotten his name already puts a mint in his mouth and they watch Ethel Rosenberg get executed. Fortunately, uh, that's not on screen. So 
we flip the page and the last page of the story here, uh, we've got folks in the government thanking uh, Ms. Gigi Allen for all the great work she does. And she says, don't worry, we're going to need somebody to take a big fall. And she pulls out a picture of Snagglepuss with his coat, his trench coat and his glasses walking into a bar in Stonewall. And that finished off issue one. Whew. That's a lot in an issue. It's a lot. It's a, it's a, it sets up a story. When I, when, when I read this, I, I click, I kept clicking that next, the next, cause I wanted to get to the next one. Yeah. And it is, <sighs> Is rough the right word? Yeah, rough. It's rough. It's a it's a definite. It is. It's like. Yeah, it's just it's 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 a rough it's a rough story. Yeah, I mean, I find it tough to read because there's one personally, it hurts a lot, but also reading back and knowing a lot about Huwak and McCarthy ism. And I've studied a lot of this era it was just a tough era. And then when I transpose it to now, like we were doing, and I start thinking about the notion of maybe some folks feeling the exact same way as these folks did, that there was something that was so immoral that we need to stamp it out of society and we need to start blacklisting people or listing people. That scares me a lot. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it brings out the, you know, a lot of the, um, the, that, dredges up that kind of that fear and the and all the emotions and the empathy and other things like that so it's definitely it's it's tough (laughs) hey man you know i uh i i i get it it's you know we we live in a we live in a a weird world and it just keeps getting weirder but if uh if this comic does not uh, help us see where we've come from. Uh, We're never going to get any better. And that finishes up Funny Book Forensics, episode 260, covering Snagglepuss, exit stage left, the Snagglepuss Chronicles, I should say. And join us next time, and we'll get into issue number two. Thank you for joining us on Funny Book Forensics. (laughs) Thank you.